So we need to understand the book of Romans, though, is, is a little different. It contains all the doctrine, the theology, uh, all the lessons, all the information that we need as Christians to understand, first of all, that we are a sinner. Secondly, that we can be saved and how to be saved. But not only that, but how we are to behave and to act and conduct ourselves as a Christian after we are saved. And it also gives instructions on how to identify those that probably are not saved. And there's many things in there. But there is an overriding theme in the book of Romans. Now some may say the theme is God's righteousness. Well, that's certainly part of it. It's mentioned many, many times. However, if you look through the book of Romans, you're going to find that actually chapter 1 builds the backbone, the, the ground foundation of the whole book of Romans by explaining to you the importance of the gospel. The gospel. The gospel is the theme of the book of Romans. While it has contains all these other things in it, it's all the backbone of the gospel. And by the way, the gospel is the most important thing in any human being's life, male or female. The gospel is the most important thing to you beyond anything. Beyond your family, beyond your children, beyond uh, your likes or dislikes, your work, your health, your wealth, any of that stuff, all comes second place to the gospel. Because if you have not heard the gospel and believed the gospel, you are dying, you're lost, and you're going to hell. And so the gospel is the very most important thing for all people. And so we know the, the book of Romans was written by the human penman was the Apostle Paul. Now all, the book, all books of the Bible are written by God. He's the author. However, he chooses men who are led by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and inspires what they are to write down. And that's what he's done with the Apostle Paul. Because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And we know that it's profitable and, and, and for doctrine and, and all those that list of things. But we see here that this was written to all that are in Rome. Down in verse 7 of chapter 1 it says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. So we see first of all this book was written to saved people. It was not written to the lost. Now, the lost can get their information out of here. They can understand things from here. They can be instructed and, and, and shown what it means to, to be saved and how to be saved. But the letter was written to save people. No one is a saint unless they're saved. I don't care what the Catholic Church may try to get you to believe, because they believe they are responsible for making people uh, saints. They appoint saints. If, if uh, someone has been a martyr for the Lord, they say they're a saint. If uh, they have done this many works or they've made, they perform some miracle that they claim is a miracle, uh, then they will call them saints and they worship those people. And so the Catholic Church, while I know there are saved people in the Catholic Church, uh, most of that is a bunch of heresy that they do. And so we need to understand that, that this book was written to saved people, saints. If you're saved, you're a saint. You become a saint immediately upon salvation. And while you may not act like a saint a lot of times, I know I sure don't. Uh, when I was saved, I was saved at six years old, and I became a saint. Now, did I act like a saint? Not in the, the form that we would think a saint would act. Certainly not. And I believe we can all look in the mirror and say, no, I've, I've not lived the life of a saint or what we would expect. However, to be a saint means that you've been saved. You've been redeemed. And so you belong to God. But he says to all that be in Rome. Now, Rome was the most influential city 
of the Roman Empire. And the Romans were in charge at this time. They had been for a few hundred years. And they would go on to be in charge for a few hundred more years. Uh, what brought Rome down, of course, was, was from within. Their struggles from within. And sin actually brought down uh, Rome, the Empire of Rome. And you'll see every great world empire that ever fails, they all start looking the same at the end, right before they fail. They are so sinful, their sin is actually what causes them to fail. And you'll see things such as uh, sodomites and things like that becoming uh, normal. And when it comes to that point, that's when a country or a nation or a power is ready to fall. Uh, the United States of America right now is ready to fall because of the way that we are behaving ourselves and because of our sin. And so we need to understand that. This is written to those in Rome. Now, Rome was mainly Gentiles. They had been brought up under a pagan culture. They worshipped Roman gods. You've got Greek gods and Roman gods they worshipped. Zeus, Venus, Mercury. You know, all these different things. You've seen these on probably television shows. Uh, they they worshipped those strange gods. Zeus uh, was one of their main gods. And so, however, there were Christians in there and there were a, a portion of Jews. Now, the Jews had run off or had been run off of most places and Christians too uh, by the Roman Empire. And so the city of Rome was mainly Gentiles. However, this church is made up of both Jew and Gentile, uh, Romans and Greeks. Uh, there's several different people that are mentioned in the very last chapter. Paul mentions a whole list of people, I believe about 27 of them. And there's a mix of all, but mainly they were Gentiles or Romans. Now, the book of Romans, it is the first epistle. An epistle means a letter. It's the first epistle that is in your New Testament. You've got the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you've got the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And then after that, the first epistle that is in the canon of Scripture is the book of Romans. It was not the first letter Paul wrote. Uh, in fact, Paul, his, we believe his first letter was 1 Thessalonians. And then 2 Thessalonians. And then Galatians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And then the book of Romans. So it's actually about his sixth letter that he wrote. He had been in the ministry for many, many years at this point right here that he wrote this letter. So he's a seasoned Christian. We may call him a veteran Christian. And he's been around all these different places, been on these missionary journeys, led many people to Christ, had started many churches. And now he's giving us information to these saints in Rome. We could call them the Church of Rome, although the Bible doesn't call them that. Some places in the Bible, they, they will specify the Church of. Well, a church, as I heard your pastor say in a message, I believe maybe two weeks ago I was listening, and he said that this building is not the church. It's, it's you. And he started saying you and you and you. And that is, that's the gospel truth right there. This building is not the church. It's the church building that, that you assembled in. You, believers, make up the church. And so these people that he's writing to, Paul is desiring to go there personally. He's not been there. Which is really odd considering he is born a Roman citizen. He was brought up under Roman culture. He learned all the Roman rules and rights. He lived under Roman law. But he'd never visited the city of Rome at the time that he wrote this, this epistle. Uh, he desired to. We see that in the Scripture. He wanted to go there. But he wasn't able to at that time. Now he does get to go to Rome eventually. But it's not under the best circumstances. He goes there as a prisoner. 
He doesn't mind that though. So Paul wrote, of course, uh, it's identified in the Bible. You can look through all the epistles and, and the writings that's in the New Testament. And he wrote 13, we know positively, his name is tagged to as the, as the penman. However, I personally believe he wrote 14 because I believe he wrote the book of Hebrews. Now, it doesn't start out saying, I, Paul, you know, write to the, you know, the Hebrews or anything. However, the way the Hebrews is laid out, the things it's said, especially the very last chapter of Hebrews, where he starts mentioning Timothy, our beloved brother, and things like that, I believe that fully indicates that was Paul being the human penman of the book of Hebrews. So I believe he wrote 14 of the books. Uh, now, my old Schofield King James Bible that I use all the time, it says that Hebrews was written by Paul. C.I. Uh, Schofield said that. Now, did he know that for sure? Well, no. None of us know for sure, but we can only believe that. So, out of the 14 letters or books that Paul wrote in the New Testament, which is over half of the New Testament, uh, these books, these, these letters, these words that he's wrote in Romans are some of the deepest, most theologically balanced, doctrinally uh, stable and secure words that you can ever read in the Bible. Uh, I know a lot of times when you start using words like theology and doctrine and things, a lot of people want to start tuning you out. They believe you're some type of lecturer or a college professor trying to give a dissertation or something. Uh, don't ever think that because the Bible clearly tells us that doctrine is very important. Uh, if you don't know the doctrine of the Bible, then you don't know really everything you need to know about God because His doctrine is the doctrine of the Bible. The doctrine of the Lord Jesus is the doctrine of the Bible. We need to understand the doctrine of the Bible. As Christians, you are responsible for knowing the doctrine of the Bible. Your pastor certainly is. But don't rely solely on your pastor to be able to explain everything to you. Look for yourself. I tell my church this all the time. Get your Bible out. Read along. Keep it with you. You read it for yourself and, and understand it. Don't rely upon everything that I say. You need to know. And we need to know what's in here. So there's 433 verses in this, in this book of Romans. There's 9,422 words. It's the second longest letter of the Apostle Paul's. 1 Corinthians the longest letter he wrote, but only by four more verses. So it is a very long and detailed letter. Now there's only 16 chapters here. But uh, I want to look at, first of all, that verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. And that was a lot of introduction, wasn't it? Uh, Paul, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Alright, so the letter begins out with the human penman Paul putting down his name. Now, they wrote letters different than we write letters. We don't start our letters by giving our name. We put down the person's name we're writing to. Like when I was writing love letters to my wife before we were married. I ought to do that now, oh, no. But when I was when we were dating, we would write letters and I'd say, Dear Mary. And I would I would end it with love always and forever, Byron. They did it completely different then. Uh, they would start out saying, I'm Paul, and I'm writing to you to say this. And then they would end it with uh, kind of greetings. At the end, it was a farewell, but still kind of looked like a, a greeting. And so it's a little different. So we know without a doubt that Paul is the human penman 
of the book of Romans. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I hope you know this. Uh, I have told this to some congregations and some people were flabbergasted and couldn't believe it because they'd been taught wrong. But contrary to what you may have heard or what you may believe, God did not change Saul's name to Paul. Now, I have heard preachers get up and preach a whole message on God changing Saul's name to Paul. It is not in the Bible. There is nowhere in there where it says that God changed Saul's name. In fact, let me, let me tell you this. Paul, as we know, there on the road to Damascus there in Acts chapter 9, we find him going there to persecute, prosecute, uh, pull Christians out of their home, beat them, imprison them, kill them, whatever he wanted to do. He had the authority and letters to do that. And so he's on that road to Damascus and he's been kicking against the pricks, which means he's been under conviction. He's been under conviction by the Holy Spirit this whole time, but he's fighting against it. He's kicking against the pricks. And when he's on that road, the Lord comes to him in a bright light and blinds him. He falls down on the ground and starts speaking to him. He reveals himself to Paul, who we know as Saul of Tarsus. And when he gets saved... He says, Lord, you know, what would you have me to do? And so he's ready to go and do whatever the Lord would have him to do. Well, his name continues to be called Saul all through chapter 9. It's called Saul through chapter 11, through chapter 12, through, and then the beginning of chapter 13. It's 14 times, I believe, if I counted correctly, he's still called Saul after he was saved. So his name did not just change to Paul. His name has always been Paul. That was his Roman name. His Gentile name. The name that he would go by when he was working with the Gentiles. Remember what God made him the preacher to? The Gentiles. So uh, we understand that uh, his name then in, in Acts chapter, uh, what is it, 13? He starts getting referred to as, as Paul mainly because he's now been sent out to preach the gospel unto these Gentiles. And it says in Acts 13 and 9, Then Saul, who also is called Paul. It didn't say who also's name was changed to Paul. It said he is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. And so we see that he, his, he's got both names. They're, they, they're joined hand in hand. When he's around the Jews, he's probably more referred to as Saul. When he's around the Gentiles, the Romans, he's called Paul, which is a shortened form of the Roman name Paulus. And if you if you know your Bible, you'll know that one of his first converts' name was Paulus. And that's, uh, that's an interesting little tidbit. But Paul had dual citizenship. He was a Jew, of course, but he was also born a Roman citizen. Uh, we see that in the book of Acts. Uh, when Paul and Silas, they get put in prison in Philippi, one of my favorite sections of the Bible. And they've been out there preaching, and, and then all the, those people, they just get them and thrown them, and they get drug off to prison without even getting to defend themselves. They get thrown down on the bottom of that prison. And in Acts chapter 16 and 37, it says, But Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison, and now do they thrust us out privately? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. So he tells them, he said, we're Romans. You've treated us wrongly. You had no right. It is against the law how you treated us because we are Romans. Now, 
He uses that from time to time to make people understand that uh, you know he is a Roman, but he is a Jew also. This gives Paul an opening, by the way. Because he is a Roman citizen, he does have certain rights that the, most Jews did not have. And he was able to go into places and do things that, that a lot of them were unable to do. So he could get before these high magistrates, these high um, people, officials in the government of the Roman government, and you know be able to witness to them. And so he did have dual citizenship. Now, we see that his citizenship was not bought. Uh, he didn't bargain for it. It wasn't bestowed upon him in some way. He was born a free man. Uh, we see that in Acts chapter 22, verses 25 through 29. Let me read those to you here quickly. Acts 22, 25 through 29. And it says, And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman? And uncondemned. When the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. Then the chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, art thou a Roman? He said, Yea. And the chief captain answered, With a great sum obtained I this freedom. And Paul said, But I was born, was freeborn. Then straightway they departed from him, which should have examined him, and the chief captain also was afraid after he knew that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. So these Roman guards and soldiers are terrified. If it gets found out they have wrongfully arrested a Roman citizen, they're in deep trouble. They could even be put to death for such a violation. And that's why this, this man was so afraid. This chief captain, it says, was afraid because Paul was a Roman citizen. And, uh, but did you notice the captain had bought his freedom? He bought his citizenship. He said, a great sum. I had to obtain with a great sum this, this uh, freedom. Paul said, yeah, but I was born this way. I was freeborn. So Paul's father apparently was also a Roman citizen and perhaps probably his mother. Uh, now, how they became Roman citizens, I have no idea. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. However it was, uh, when Paul was born, he was a Roman citizen. Now, um, what the, like I said, what's interesting is Paul being born a Roman citizen, spent time in the Roman cities, Roman jails. He'd never actually been there. And uh, it says in verse 1 again in Romans 1, it says, Called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Now, we've already talked about and recounted how Paul was saved on that road to Damascus. That is a very... Um, to, to most Christians, that story is one of those that you've heard many, many times. You know it by heart, and you think about it all. I do. Um, I'll just tell you, my wife can tell you this. I kind of have a, a bad problem of collecting things about Paul. Um, the Lord Jesus Christ is, is the main focus of the Bible. He's the most important figure in the Bible. But Paul, to me, is, I mean, he's just, I love to study his life. I probably have 50, 70 books just about the Apostle Paul and uh, lots of things about him. So I get very interested in the things of Paul and sometimes I dwell on that a lot. But these, these things that the Bible teaches about what Paul done is so important because, because of Paul who went over into the continent of Europe and then the Gospel was spread through Europe and eventually into the United States of America. We can be saved and know the gospel. So I, I place all the, the wonderful things that, that we've understood about the gospel and about the Lord Jesus 
I lay it down at Paul because God used him in that way. And so he is someone to look up to. Now, you'd be amazed how many people hate the Apostle Paul. Many of the founding fathers of this country could not stand the Apostle Paul. You had men such, such as Thomas Jefferson who wrote his own Bible and cut out all of Paul's things. He said Paul was a, was a lunatic and that he preached a different gospel. There was many different people that can't stand Paul. Even to this day, lots of people will take the letters of Paul out of the Bible and claim that he had a different gospel than the Lord Jesus. And so you need to be careful of those people. They're, they're crazy. I'm just telling you right now. That sounds bad, don't it? They're crazy. Uh, they're, they're mixed up. They don't understand the truth of the Bible. So the Lord Jesus, though, Paul said that he was an apostle. Now, you don't just become an apostle because you want to be an apostle. I used to work with a man who claimed that he was an apostle. And I thought, really? How in the world did you pull that off? Were you actually there after the resurrection of Christ and witnessed him per, per, uh, personally? Because that's how you become an apostle. There's no apostles today, okay? If you turn on your television set on one of those so-called Christian channels and there's a guy on there calling himself an apostle, he's a liar. There's no apostles of that. The apostles, you had to be, you had to witness for yourself Jesus Christ after his resurrection, and you had to be personally called by God, by the Holy Spirit, to become an apostle. You don't just go around saying, I'm going to be an apostle. Now, the very bare definition of apostle is one who is sent. But in the Bible sense, an apostle is one who is sent by God. And so Paul was sent by God. He was made an apostle by God. We see that in 1 Corinthians 15, 8-10. And he says this. He says, And last of all, he was seen of me also. He just listed off all these people that saw Jesus Christ after His resurrection. You remember He came and made Himself present to many people. And Paul is relaying that to the church at Corinth. And he said, And last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but grace of God which was, but the grace of God which was with me. So just as Paul said, he was called to be an apostle for a specific purpose. Back in Romans 1.1, he said he was separated unto the gospel of God. The gospel of God, the gospel of Christ, is the same thing. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is God in human form. God robed himself in flesh, became born of a virgin in Bethlehem, and manifest himself here on earth in the form of a man. That was the God-man. And so you may have these false denominations that will tell you that uh, they are not the same. They don't believe that. The Mormons don't believe that. The Jehovah Witnesses don't believe that. Uh, the Muslims don't believe that. But the Christian faith, we know that Jesus is God in bodily form. He is the God-man. And He's equal with God. So, um, Paul, he was saved for the purpose of preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had no other purpose than that. He could care less about anything else going on in this world except for the gospel. Now, before he was saved, he had a lot of cares, religious cares. He was the Pharisee of the Pharisees, you know, he was all these things. 
uh, sat on the Sanhedrin court, responsible when Stephen was stoned. They laid down their cloaks at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. He was the man, he was the man in charge. Paul was up here on the religious ladder of, of these Jews. I mean, he sat under the, the teaching of the best teachers of the Jews, Gamaliel. He sat under his feet and he learned. He was in seminary for all those years and he gained all of his knowledge and education. But at one point after Paul was saved, he said, I counted all that as dung. All he cares about now is preaching the Gospel. Because that's what God has called him to do. In Galatians 6 and 14, he said, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. In other words, I don't want to know anything about you. I don't care anything about the troubles of all these worlds and everything that's going on here. I could care less about my education, get my diplomas, throw them over there in the manure heap, because all that matters to me right now is preaching the Gospel of God. And so... Who wrote Romans? The Apostle Paul. Uh, it was written to the saved in Rome, the church, the saints. Now, if I start getting to... Oh, it's almost time. Wow, it's been flying by. So in about uh, eight minutes here, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll adjourn until the service. But let me quickly go this. I've got like 17 pages of notes, so uh, we can keep going. But uh, So Paul was the human penman. Uh, the, the church of Rome, like I said, was mainly made up of Gentiles. Paul is 29, I said 27 early, 29 different people by name in the last chapter of Romans. And uh, in that list, only seven of those have, a, have Jewish names. Uh, the rest are either Greek or Latin names, which is suitable. Because in Acts 9 and 15, the Bible says that the Lord called Paul to be a preacher unto the Gentiles. Now, among those Jews mentioned, though, we find some people that are familiar to us. Phoebe, who actually took this letter to those people in Rome to deliver it. She was a servant there of the church. And Paul says, I wrote this letter to the Romans, the saved out there in Rome. I want you to take it to them. She takes the letter and gives it to them so that they can read it. We see her mentioned. We see Priscilla and Aquila, the husband and wife gospel team together. Those that met Paul. They were tent makers too. They met there in the occupation sewing tents and they formed a bond with Paul. And uh, they were very great instrumental in, in also teaching to Apollos, the, the eloquent speaker who stood up and spoke all these wonderful things and had a great, great way of reaching people, but he didn't understand the gospel. Priscilla and Aquila took him aside and explained to him, to him more perfectly the gospel of Jesus Christ. After that, he became this, this huge uh, speaker of the gospel and was able to reach so many people. You know, uh, they planted and watered and, and God gave the increase. And so... Uh, Priscilla and Aquila are named. They actually have a church in their own home in Rome. You see, there wasn't this church of Rome that they all went and congregated to. The Jews and the Christians could not meet in Jewish synagogues anymore in that Roman culture. It was not allowed for them. So they couldn't meet in the synagogues. They had to meet in homes. Many of these people had churches in their home. We have a church in our home. Porchlight Baptist Church is was founded in our home. Uh, when I left the church I was pastoring, uh, God called me to try to reach people that were homebound and, and unable to get out and things like that. And so we formed, kind of we modeled after the first century church. Uh, we started holding services in our home. We, we do it all. We sing, we preach, we have Sunday school, uh, we live stream it, we do all that. Uh, we go to other believers' homes and have services. Anybody wants us to come, we go to their home. Uh, kind of like a, uh, a cottage prayer meeting is what we do. Um, and so... 
these people, that's the way they met. They didn't have this beautiful building you, you guys have. I love this little church. We come down, I miss the road again. I do that every time I come here. And uh, we went on two roads down because I missed the next road and got on that. And we come over that hill and looked down, and there's that big white steeple sticking up in the, in the air. And man, it's just like, it's, it's home, it's church. It's church. It, it resembles church to me. Now, I know that we're, we don't worship the building or the steeples or any stained glass windows or any of that stuff. But a church is different than any other establishment in this world. People ought to be able to look and say, that is a church. That's where people congregate together to worship the Lord. It ought to be different. It ought to look like it looks. There's places today that are, one of the churches that I grew up in a long time ago, and actually I was called to preach in that church, the pastor they have now took the steeple off the church, painted all the, the things solid to look like some kind of building, uh, looks like an office building or something. It don't even resemble a church anymore. And he did that for a reason. He didn't want it to look like a church. I'll never understand that, that way of thinking. But these people didn't have a church building. They met in their homes. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila are specifically mentioned where they met. Uh, Paul pinned, in, pinned down this letter Many years after he was saved, um, it was probably about uh, 25 years after Christ had, had been crucified. And so uh, we're going to have to stop there now. We've, we've, we've run out of time. Uh, perhaps Brother Jonathan will allow me to come back sometime and we'll, we'll pick back up on this. But uh, I'll tell you what, it's exciting when you start reading things of, uh, that God has put in His Word for us. I mean, he, he's, he's got everything we need to know. You don't need to know things that men say in, in these books that men are writing. They may be helpful to you at times. Uh, these best-selling authors and things. Listen, the best-selling author is God. Uh, the Word of God right here is the number one best-selling book in the world. Um, but it's uh, the least read. It is the least read. These things are sitting on shelves, coffee tables, dashes of cars. Uh, in drawers and things like that, and they very rarely get opened by most people. And that's a shame because it has everything that we need to know about how to live, about how to witness, about how to conduct yourself, how to, how to raise your family. Everything is needed, and it's in this book. All right, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning thanking you so much for this Sunday school class Lord, for each one that's sat here, Lord, and, and listened intently. God, I pray that it's been helpful to them. Lord, thank you for opening up your word to us and revealing the things to us, God, through the Holy Spirit. God, nothing we've done, but God, what you've done. And Lord, we're just praying that we will get more serious about your word. Lord, and we'll get into it and we'll, we'll, it'll just be like honey to us. Lord, it's sweet. And God, I pray that uh, each one in here today makes it their personal goal. Lord, to know you better, to know your word better, and Lord, to be able to tell others about you more. Help us, Father, in the upcoming worship service. Lord, that we will glorify and honor you in everything that we do, every song sung, every testimony given, every word spoken. May it lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.